First John chapter three. First John chapter three. The newest Gallup poll reports that 29% of Americans say they were depressed at some point in their lives. That's almost one in three. The reported level of those who are currently depressed is 18%. That's almost one in five. And that last number, currently depressed, jumps to 25% for adults aged 18 to 29. That means if you run into somebody who's between the age of 18 and 29, one out of four are currently depressed. Those numbers are at all-time highs in Gallup's polling data, up 6% to 13% over the last 10 years. Guys, feelings are powerful. They are powerful. But, but the question I would ask you this morning is, is trusting our feelings the right way to approach life? Is our heart a reliable source? And if it's not, then what are we supposed to trust? Well, John is going to answer those questions this morning by showing us where we should put our trust and the benefits that come from doing so. So chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 19. John says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John starts off by saying, and hereby. It means in this. So in this, what? Well, everything we've learned so far in chapter 3. Through our love for one another and through our obedience to God, John says, through that, we know something. The word here, know, it means we shall come to know, and then it talks about experiential knowledge. So Through our love for one another, through our obedience to God, everything we've learned in chapter 3 so far, it says that we are going to, as we go into the future in our lives, we're going to come to know by experience something. And he tells us it is that we are of the truth, that we are from out of that which is real, from out of that which is genuine. In other words, what John says is that being born again is not like a, a checklist that you go through. Like the beginning of your Bible, if you have an older Bible, it might say something, born here, saved here, baptized here, died here, which I always thought was strange. Like, if, never mind. You get my point, though. But the idea being is that sometimes we can look at our Christianity kind of like that, like a checklist. Like, I got baptized, I shared my faith, or I did this, I went forward, and, and we put it off as like a checklist and go, well, I fulfilled all the membership requirements for Christianity. But being born again is not a religious list to check off. Being born again is a, a real thing because the real living God is the one who's working in our lives. This idea is that when it says we're of the truth, we're out of that which is real is because there's a real living God who's working in us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we see this idea of how we know this. And he says, well, he that commits sin is of the devil. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. The idea if we're practicing sin, if we're in the habit, the person who's in the habit of disobeying God shows that they're still living in the lie. You haven't experienced that new life that we have in Christ. You're still under the influence of the enemy. In contrast, the person who's in the habit of obeying God 
Well, shows that you are born again. You're a new creation. You're the real deal is what John says. And so in that, when we see that work of God in our lives, we can know that we're of the truth. This new life that we have is a very real thing. It's the thing that Jesus promised to those who follow him. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. I know we've referenced that chapter quite a bit in studying 1 John 3, but it's relevant because when it says that there were many who believed on Jesus, Jesus said to them in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, this truth that we've received has birthed something new in us, It's birthed something new in me that transforms how I behave so that I become the real deal. My existence has literally been transferred from the darkness that is a lie into the light of the truth. When Paul was talking about to the Colossians about how he prayed for them, in Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, he talks about that in his prayer he gives thanks unto the Father for them. He says, I give thanks unto the Father which has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of the light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us, transferred us unto the, into the kingdom of his dear Son. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you've literally been, God took you, He made you born again, and then He took you from darkness into light, from lie into truth. That's why Paul says, man, I'm so thankful for you guys because I'm so thankful to the Father for you guys because He's transformed your lives. John started his letter in those first couple verses in chapter one by inviting us to experience all the joy God wants to give us as we go deeper in our relationship with Jesus and receiving what John has been teaching us about obedience and about loving one another, receiving that and then applying those truths to our lives, that's what enables us to go deeper with the Lord because seeing God work as we're yielded to him and seeing him work in us and change us in those areas, seeing ourselves grow in those areas gives us that assurance of our salvation that we are the real deal. And when we know that we're the real deal, again, because we're living out what First John chapter 3 talks about it, when we know we're the real deal, that enables us to silence the accusations of our heart. Look at the end of verse 19. He says, in this, everything we've learned in chapter 3, we know we're going to come to know by experience that we're the real deal, we're of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. The word there, assure, it means to persuade or to convince. We will persuade or convince our hearts before Him, or it means in His presence or when we're, we come to Him. Now, this obviously does refer to when we get to heaven. We won't have any shame when we get to heaven, any fear when we stand before the Lord when we get to heaven. We're just going to be so delighted to be in His presence and to worship Him and to fall down before Him. But John is not referring to heaven here. He's referring to our everyday interaction with God because he's going to talk about prayer in a second. He's talking about when we come to God. Now, this word assure is used when two things are in opposite camps, okay? Okay. It says that our heart is in one camp and the Lord's in another camp. Our heart says one thing and the Lord says another thing. And so we're going to convince or persuade our hearts to go along with what God says when we have this assurance of our salvation. You see, our heart constantly says, you're not of the truth. 
<laughs> You're not the real deal. You can't go deeper with Jesus. In fact, you can't even go to Jesus. Anyone here ever experienced that? A few of you. And what I have found is if I try to argue with my heart, my heart has ample evidence to prove that it's correct. If I say, well, wait a second, heart, I can go to the Lord because I didn't have that bad of a day. And the heart says, no, it was that bad of a day. And then it starts pointing out all the proof that it is that bad of a day. And it condemns us. We'll learn about that in a second. But it, it condemns us to a place where we go, well, I can't go to God. See, the problem is, is we're making the wrong argument. Coming to Jesus doesn't require us to have a perfect day. It requires being born again. Coming to Jesus doesn't require us to have a perfect day. It requires us being born again. And the evidence of being born again isn't that I never fail. To, you know, it's not that I always obey God. We're still growing in that. We learned that in chapter 2. It's not that I don't ever have a bad attitude towards somebody. We're still growing in that. The evidence of being born again is that I'm in the habit of obeying God. I'm in the process of growing in my obedience. I'm in the habit of loving others. I'm growing day by day in those areas. And if I'm growing day by day in those areas, well, then I do have the winning argument with my heart. You see, my statement to my heart is, well, I'm doing the right things most of the time, heart. My heart's going to win that argument because it's going to say, actually, no, you're not. My winning statement is, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's my winning statement. Heart says, you can't go to the Lord. And I say, but I'm in Christ. I can. In fact, I need to. This is because I'm in Christ and I'm struggling today. That's why I need to go to the Lord. I am the real deal. I am my beloved's and he is mine. No, I don't always get obedience and love right, but I'm growing. And that growth is evidence that I'm born again, that I am my beloved's and he is mine. That argument has the ability to silence the condemnation of my heart when I come to the Lord. John's readers, he knew they needed this assurance for their future interactions with God. But isn't that something we all need as well? To know that we can come to our Savior? Conviction is a good thing. When God convicts us, when we had that bad day, and our heart says, you can't go to the Lord, the Lord comes to me and says, no, come. He says, you had a bad day. We need to talk. We need to work on this. I, I have things I want you to read here that will help you with this. I have things I want to do in your life. I want to get a greater hold of you in this area that you keep trying to do this on your own. I want you to yield it to me. I want you to surrender it to me. I want to work in your life. That's what conviction does. Conviction always draws me to God to find mercy and forgiveness and help. Condemnation, however, is an awful thing. You see, condemnation, it always drives me away from God. It keeps me from the help that I need to keep growing. It says, you can't come to God. You're not good enough. You didn't have a good enough day. You weren't spiritual enough today. You can't go to the Lord. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the enemy. And the danger is, is that sometimes it even comes from my own heart. Look at verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, if our heart condemn us, 
Does our heart condemn us? John actually says here, it is normal for a Christian's heart to condemn them. He says here, for if, the word if here, there's four ways you can do an if-then statement in the New Testament language. And this is the way of what we call more probability. In other words, John is expecting that this is very likely to happen. It's not a guarantee, but it is very likely that this will happen. John says, if you're born again, it is very likely that your heart will condemn you. What does it mean to condemn The word condemn here means to have evidence that something's bad and then to pass sentence as a result. It means to damn or curse someone. You see, our heart doesn't just say, oh yeah, you had a bad day. No, our heart heart says, no, no, you're guilty beyond doubt and you will be punished. In fact, you must be punished. Case closed. Don't even think about going to the Lord. Anyone had their heart tell them that? Yeah. If you answered yes to that, whether you raised your hand or not, whatever, if you, raised your, if, if you answered yes, though, which is probably most of us, John has more awesome news for us. He says, if you should experience that, here's how to respond. He says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That word greater there doesn't just mean God's bigger or better. It means He's more important and He has a higher status. Who God is and what God thinks and what God says is more important and has greater status than what my heart is, what it thinks, and what it says. Listen, there are two things you need to hear today. Number one, that God loves you. We're going to get to that in just a second. But the second thing you need to hear today, if you don't hear anything else, is that we give way too high of a status to our own hearts. Way too high. That is always how we get in trouble, is it not? I don't know about how me and Bev don't fight. We have intense fellowship. (laughs) How do those things start, though, normally? Well, she said that because da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And then all of a sudden you're being snippy and whatever. She's like, what's wrong with you? And, you know, and I say something like, well, you're not going to... You were thinking about this. You didn't like what I did here, and so you did this. And she is so wise, she'll look at me sometimes and she'll say this. She'll say, you must really think I'm an awful person to think that about me. Why would you think I would think that about you? And I'm like, man, what is wrong with me? This is my bride. Why would I think that about her? Because this little thing in here, it's a troublemaker. It thinks it knows everything. Like it assesses all the situations of the world and it goes, I know what's going on here. It doesn't just condemn me, it condemns everybody. It's the ticker that's always ticked. I'm learning from Jim. We give too high a status to our own thoughts and to our own feelings. You have parenting problems? I never thought I could be offended at a seven-month-old. They don't care. They don't care. They don't want to see me or a four-year-old, or a 15-year-old. A child needs help. They need guidance. They need, they need you to be the adult here, and you're thinking about yourself. You know? Same problem. I give too high a status to my own thoughts, to my own feelings. You have problems in your relationship with God. Same thing. You give too high a status to your own thoughts, to your own feelings. People tell us to follow our heart And no matter how well-meaning they are, the problem is our heart sends us to the pit of doom. 
Turn to Proverbs 14 with me. I know we read it in our scripture reading, but I want to highlight a couple verses here in more detail. Proverbs 14. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it starts off with a very famous verse. It says, There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, if we take like we, our heart processes and goes, this is a good route to take. Follow your heart. Follow me. I will lead you to the promised land. But it says the end of that road is what? Death. Like that's hardcore. Like it doesn't say, well, that, the end of the road is you lose the lottery. No, it's like death. Things that separate us from God. Things that, a path that causes things around us to be lost. Important things. The things of life. Tells us even the laughter of the heart, it's sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Like, you might go, yeah, this is the good path. We're doing it. Like, this is great. <laughs> but at the end, it's heaviness and sorrow. It doesn't satisfy. The, the simple believes every word. The immature person, the naive person, follows their heart, the, follows this path that it lays out for themselves. It says, this is a great idea. But the prudent man, the wise person, it says, the good man, it's, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse, verse 14, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from above. Someone who's not walking with the Lord you're going to be filled with your own ways, but a good man shall be satisfied from himself, King James says, but it means beyond himself, something outside himself. It means from above. The naive believes every word, but the prudent man looks well to his going. He thinks, is this really the best path? And he looks outside of himself. He looks to the Lord and says, is this the best path? A wise man fears. In other words, he he reverences God. He considers what God thinks. He loves what God loves, hates what he hates, and he departs from evil, no matter how his heart is directing him. But in contrast, the foolish person rages. All that emotion, all that feeling rises up, and he's confident. He goes, no, I'm going to make this work. It's going to work. Who God is and what he thinks is far more important than the feelings of my heart, no matter how strong those feelings may be. No matter how strong. I have a slide I want to show you. Maybe you'll enjoy it. <laughs> we, we are not care bears. We are not just able to shoot problem-solving magic out of our chests when we just feel strongly enough. Like, all right, you know, I don't know what to do about this thing. Yeah, I'm just going to feel it hard enough. That is not how we overcome. It's not how we win life. Never thought you'd see that in church, did you? <laughs> it's not about just feeling more strongly. It's not about raging inside and just going, yeah, I'm going to do this. I can do this. Think about something. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, he loves you. He loves you. The one who made the stars, he stepped out of heaven to become a man and then he died for you. The one who has never done anything wrong made a way for you to be forgiven and free from sin and he wants you 
to be close by his side now and for all eternity. Now, that same God John tells us here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, he knows everything about us, everything. He knows all your past sin. He knows all your shameful thoughts. He knows all your current struggles. And so if he says, I want you, you are mine, well then, I don't know about you, but my heart can take a hike. I don't need to listen to it. Because no matter how strong my feelings are, no matter how powerful those emotions are, my heart does not know all things. It does not know all things. And it can never equal God's claim of omniscience. Never. So the question this morning is, is do you believe that's true? Because this is, this is really where faith becomes real. It's not just something we say, well, my faith is I checked this box on the religion section of, a, of paperwork. I'm of this faith. No, no, no. What's, what do you believe? Do you believe that God is greater than your own heart? Do you trust what God says about himself, about you, or do you trust how you feel? I remember as a young man, I'm a strong feeler. I know we have a diversity of personalities in our room. We have a spectrum of, of how we all feel. I know some of you, you know, like me, you can cry at the drop of a hat, and then there's some of you, you're just a stone, man, like, that's sad. <laughs> you're not weird. Nothing wrong with that. We're all different. God designed us in, in different ways. He's the one who created us. We have that wide spectrum of personality. There's not a right or wrong there. But no matter how much you feel or how much you don't, I, I remember as a young man being someone who feels very strongly that I, I would look at my hands and I would say, Will, do you, do you believe what God says more than what you're looking at with your own eyes? Because it is very challenging when emotions are running high and you're feeling very strongly about something to trust only your inputs. And what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you can touch, what you can comprehend. And there were times I would look at my hands and I would say, what God says about this situation is more real than what I'm staring at with my own eyes right now. It's more substance to it. It's more legitimate. This is where faith comes in. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, right? Faith is what? A few of you have memorized it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, does the substance and the evidence of what God says carry more weight to you than the substance and the evidence of how you feel? It's not that there's no substance or evidence to how you feel. People say, well, I'm really feeling this. Okay. But do you trust that more than you trust God? Or do you trust the evidence and the substance of what God declares about himself, about you, about life? Do you trust that more than your own feelings? That, that's where faith comes in. It's where the rubber meets the road. See how many more cliches I can come up with today. Listen, there is peace in one of those approaches and there's confusion in the other approach. This thing inside of me, it does not know everything and is going to confuse me if I trust in it. But the Bible says that God is the author of peace. His wisdom brings peace. 
And John wants us to be able to convince our hearts to be silent. And when we believe God is who he says he is, and we believe we are who God says we are, we can do that. We can silence our hearts. And as a result, we can be confident when we approach the Lord. Look at verse 21. John says, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John says that there are benefits of having this assurance of salvation, of knowing we're of the truth and being able to silence and persuade and convince our hearts when we go to the Lord. He says, if we understand that, hey, God's greater than my heart, I believe that. He knows everything about me. He's got the higher priority. And we do that. He says, you who are greatly loved by God. He says, there are benefits when you take that path. Do you know that you're greatly loved by God? That you're His beloved? You are the object of His affection. No matter where you're at today, no matter how good of a day you've had today, how good of a week you've had, no matter if you know the Lord, don't know the Lord today, you are loved by Him. And He offers you and me something so much better than the self-torment our hearts offer us. And therefore, He is worthy of far more trust than our heart. John says, beloved, if our heart should condemn us, this if is the same clause of greater probability. In the same way that John expects his readers and us to experience the condemnation of our hearts, he also expects that as we trust in our greater God who knows more than our hearts and who loves us, he expects that as we do that more and more, we trust God more and more, that we're going to grow to experience freedom from a condemning heart. That it's not, it's not our lot as Christians to stay with a condemning heart, but we will grow and we will learn to silence our hearts and to trust the Lord more and more each day. Well, that freedom from a condemning heart results in two powerful things. The first one's at the end of the verse. It says here, then we have confidence towards God. If we are growing in that way and we experience the freedom from the condemnation of our hearts, it says we have confidence towards God. We regularly possess, that have is a present participle, we are regularly possessing confidence when we're face-to-face toward, facing God. The word confidence here, it means a state of boldness, courage, or frankness. We don't use that word very much today, but frankness means being open, honest, and direct in communication. We are not very frank in our culture. We are the culture of passive aggressives, right? I didn't like that very much. I'm not going to give it a thumbs up, right? And then, hey, so-and-so didn't like my post. I wonder what they're thinking. We are all like that and that nonsense. That has no part in the Christian's life, by the way. We're to be open and frank with the Lord, and we're to be open and frank with each other. Open, honest, and direct in our communication. And so John says, listen, when we can silence our hearts because we know that God is greater and we're trusting Him, what He says about us, what He says about Himself... Rather than cowering before God or staying away from God or feeling like we can't even talk openly with God when we fail or when we need help, we can face God and we see in His face that He loves us and that He receives us and He wants to help us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, because of all that Jesus has done for us, this wonderful relationship we've been brought into, this better covenant we have with God, He says, Therefore, let us come boldly. Same word here is confidence. Confidence. 
boldly before his throne of grace with frankness, open, honest, direct communication. Let's come with that communication before his throne of grace that we might find grace and mercy to help, or mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Isn't that an awesome benefit of being assured of your salvation? That you know, like, man, I had a bad day. Like, I lost it with three of my coworkers today, totally misrepresented the Lord. Jesus, here I come, because I don't want to do that again tomorrow. Lord, I'm so sorry I did that. It was so wrong of me. Will you please forgive me? Lord, I, I yield this frustration to you about how things are done at work or these individuals and how they treat me at times. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to turn the other cheek. I want to, for insult, I want to return blessing. Lord Jesus, will you fill me with your spirit? Wash me and cleanse me and fill me with your spirit and you live through me. I want tomorrow to be a day where I'm walking in the spirit and I'm not in the flesh again. Listen, that's not going to happen if you're cowering before God or you're listening to your, the condemnation of your heart and then you don't go to the Lord. Guess what? You're going to walk into that next day with the same weakness you went into it with today. And nothing's going to change because you'll be in your own strength and your own energy trying to accomplish the things that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this confidence, this boldness before God is a wonderful benefit of being assured of our salvation, that we come to him, not because we've earned the right to come to him, but because Jesus earned the right for us to come to him. But that's not all. Verse 22 shows us a second blessing here. It says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is a wide open potentiality for prayer here because he says whatsoever. Whatsoever is a word with no limitations, right? Now, we know that we have other scriptures that talk about praying in God's will. In other words, what does it mean to pray in God's will? It means we pray in accordance with what God wants and in accordance with what God says. God's will is what he wants and what he wants is revealed in his word. Now, again, John knows this because in 1 John 5, 14, He's going to talk about that. He says in 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we do have scriptures that tell us we can't expect God to say yes if we pray an unbiblical prayer or we pray a prayer that doesn't line up with his character or with his plan. God's not going to answer a prayer with a yes that goes along this lines. God Please help me, give me great wisdom and insight. Lord, give me great favor with my surroundings as me and my family now rob this store. That's not going to get answered with a yes. God, please give me great skill and wisdom as I try to hide this affair from my spouse. That's not going to get a yes answer, right? God's not ever going to say yes to something when we're doing something and we're asking his favor on something that contradicts his word or contradicts his character, right? John, like I said, he's going to talk about that aspect of prayer in chapter 5. But for now, he's just trying to explain the potential of prayer to us. He's talking about the blessing we experience when we pray in prayer, when we silence the condemnation of our heart, because when our hearts are not condemning us, we pray with greater faith and with greater confidence, and therefore we see better results. Very often, we just don't even pray about things because we think, well, why would God hear me? Why would God do anything when I pray? There is so much bad teaching on praying in faith that it would take weeks to tackle all of it. So 
I don't want to do that this morning, but let's just sum up the correct understanding of praying in faith or praying with faith this morning. Look at Matthew 21. You say, Pastor, well, how are you going to do this in like six minutes? I'm not. <laughs> Very famous verse, gets quoted a lot. Matthew 21, 22. Jesus says, in all things, beautiful promise again, similar to John's whatsoever, in all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, here's the caveat, believing you shall receive. Listen, what, what does believing mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. Believing doesn't mean confessing things into existence. It doesn't mean that, well, if I believe hard enough, it can happen. It's not about believing really hard. It's not about getting your Care Bear stare on. I'm believing. <laughs> believing means the same thing it's always meant in the Bible, trusting God. It means praying with confidence in who he is and what he says in his word. It's never changed. He says all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, when you're trusting God, when it's in accordance to his word, you're going to receive it. Look at James chapter 1, another passage that talks about praying in faith. James 1, verses 5 through 8. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. He knows he doesn't reproach you. It's not like, you know, you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've got a prayer request today. And he's like, again? You were here yesterday with a request. You know, how many is it going to be? You're going to come tomorrow too? No, he gives to all men liberally, not just special people. If you're a believer, you could, this is a promise for you. He desires to just lavish his blessings upon you. So if you're lacking wisdom, that's a, I need wisdom, Lord. I need that from you. He says he's going to give you lots of wisdom. He's not going to reproach you for asking. It shall be given to him. But, verse 6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why? Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Listen, Double-mindedness has nothing to do with, oh, part of me's feeling it, but the other part of me's not. Do you think God's going to answer this prayer? I don't know. I'm not feeling it hard enough. No, that's not asking in faith. Double-mindedness has to do with our walk with Jesus, our obedience, and therefore certainly our love for one another. I can't come to God and pray, oh, Jesus, please bless me in this thing I'm asking you for, and then walk out of my prayer closet and yell at my spouse. The Lord's going to go, uh, come back into the prayer closet. we got to talk about something else. Right? Because you're double-minded. That's the way to have zero effectiveness in prayer. In contrast, though, praying in faith, when I'm in the habit of obeying God, when I'm silencing the condemnations of my heart because I'm trusting God's character, I'm trusting God's promises, that's the believing Jesus talked about. That's the asking in faith that James talked about. And when you and I pray like that, we're not expecting God to do it because he owes me something. We're trusting, we're looking to him because, God, I'm your child. You're the one who needs to do this. I can't. And not only that I'm his child, but he wants to help his child. And at the same time, I'm recognizing who I am in Christ. 
I'm seeking to live like his child. That brings a confidence in our prayers that gets results. John says here in 1 John 3, it says, whatsoever we ask, literally it means we keep on asking for day by day. Don't get discouraged if you say, I've been praying for three days about this and no answer. Day by day, keep praying. Jesus told us, ask and keep on asking and you'll receive. Seek and keep on seeking and you'll find. Knock and keep knocking and the door shall be opened. We need to be persistent in prayer. So the result of having this this assurance of our salvation, of silencing the condemnation of our heart is that whatever we are keep on asking for day by day, it says that we'll receive of him. We'll be in the habit of laying hold of what we ask for. Those kind of prayers become something we can regularly look at and go, whoa, look at what God did. He answered it. Because, John brings it back to where he started the chapter, because Well, we're keeping His commandments. We're in the habit of keeping His commandments. We're in the habit of doing the things that please Him. Guys, believers are meant to impact things around us through prayer. That we're meant to have an impact on the things around us through prayer. We're meant to impact our kids, our spouses, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the unbelievers in our context. We are meant to impact things around us through prayer. We're meant to be those who keep on asking God day by day and then at some point see God come through. But hand in hand with that, believers are meant to be those who are growing in their obedience, who are growing in their love for one another. We're meant to be those who come to God openly, knowing we're loved, knowing we're accepted, and knowing that our lives are pleasing to Him, even though we're still not perfect. So, as the team comes up to close us out in song, what's the verdict for you? Are you having an impact through prayer? Does your heart often condemn you and keep you from talking to God openly? Does your heart condemn you and keep you from asking God for things? Does it maybe even keep you from believing that prayer works? It's a common question that I'll hear as a pastor. I say, why don't we see more answered prayer? To which I would say, your question is relative to your own experience. Because I would say that's not a question I would ask because I see God answering not just my prayers, but other people's prayers all the time. But maybe you say that, like, I, I don't, does prayer work? I don't see it working in my life often. Well, if any of those questions describes your prayer life struggles, then maybe you need to ask yourself, why? Is the reason because, well, maybe you aren't in the habit of obeying God or loving others? Well, if that's the case, then repent. It's a beautiful word, repent. Turn around. Heed John's words because God wants you to come to Him openly. He wants to answer your requests. Is the reason Maybe because you're trusting what your heart tells you rather than what God says about you or what God says in general? Well, then change that. Make a decision this morning to believe what the Bible says about God and about what He's done for you. Make a decision to silence your heart with the truth so that you can come to God with boldness. Maybe you might be here this morning and say, Pastor Will, it's none of those things. I just I really don't have a prayer life. I find it hard to see the value of prayer compared to how other ways I'd like to spend my time each day. Well, if that describes you this morning, then it might be good to ask yourself a different question, which is, 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it the checkbox? We are blessedly saved by grace through faith alone, amen? But we're saved to a relationship with God. That's what we're saved to. And if you're not pursuing that relationship with God, then what is your salvation about? John, as he's, we won't do it this week because we're out of time, but in the last two verses, we'll look at it next week, he's going to remind us what our salvation is about. But you don't have to wait until next week to change your perspective. So who is Jesus to you this morning? Is your understanding of what it means to have a relationship with him correct? And if the answer is no, then as we sing, change your perspective. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for this awesome truth that our hearts are not the most important thing. Lord, that our feelings are not the most important thing. Lord, I know for me personally that that was a huge battle for me, especially when I was a younger believer. My feelings are so powerful and they just seem so real. Lord, the truth is our hearts don't, they know very little compared certainly to what you know, but sometimes even compared to what's really going on. So, Lord, we don't want to be those who go down the path that seems right to us. We don't want to start with laughter but end up with heaviness. We don't want to be foolish and prideful, Lord, and naive. We want to be wise. So, Lord, you know where everybody is here this morning. You know if there are some right now who are, they just, prayer is not even a part of their life. It's not a significant part of their life. Lord, show them what you save them to. Or Lord, if they're here today and they don't know you, draw them to this relationship with you through repentance and faith in Christ. And then Lord, if there are, are some here that have been giving way too high a status to their heart and it's affected their prayer life, Lord, is they're committing to you saying now, Lord, I believe you are greater than my heart and you know all things and you still love me and you want me. Or that they would begin a journey of just seeing the wonder of the confidence we can have when we come to you and the expectation of answered prayer that spurs us to be prayer warriors, Lord. And then, Lord, if there are some of us who were convicted this morning because we're not being obedient to you, we're not loving others, and that's hampering our prayer life, Lord, we give you those areas where we're being disobedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.